0: Hello friends, welcome to Success for Whole Ass Humans. I'm your host Shari Baluchi, success strategist and well-being coach for entrepreneurs, creatives, artists, activists, and thought leaders. I'll be your guide as well as your companion along the journey to cultivating a life grounded in your version of success while navigating the ups and downs that come with living a life as a whole ass human. We're often all going through such similar experiences and yet we still feel isolated in them. I've created this space because I know that there's power in having our experiences normalized and how deeply transformative it is to know that you are not alone. If you're going through an experience that's challenging or complex in your life or business and your brain has hit a wall, I want this to be the space that helps you open up that dialogue and conversation with yourself so you can explore and look at things in a way that ultimately helps you feel better and lighter. Like all of my content, my intention is not to present a one-size-fits-all solution, but to offer you possibilities to help you move through the stuckness so you can truly embrace your identity as someone who gets to create wild success, whatever that means for you, while being a whole-ass human. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to talk about a case study today where we're going to be looking at an example of a client that I actually recently wrapped up with after working together for a couple of cycles of coaching packages. And we're going to look at what happens when you actually don't get what you wanted in the coaching container in terms of the goal that you set out for and what it looks like to not get what you wanted, but to get what you needed. Because I think this happens so very often in business, especially in coaching and through the last couple of years of coaching and even talking to my peers and coaches in the space, even being a client on the receiving end of coaching. I've just found that so often there is a goal in the business that we're really desiring. And the way that we think we need to get there looks very different than the inner work that's actually required for us to get there. And I kind of want to add a bunch of context to this conversation because I just don't think that this is something that's very easy to lock into unless you're in the experience. But I think it's a really important thing to normalize in business and to normalize with business coaching, because this is what actually goes on behind the scenes to create the success in business. And in fact, as I was wrapping up with this client, my last coaching session with clients is usually a mixture of coaching session and celebration and reflections from the container, because I think it's so easy to gloss over the change and transformation that we've got through. And we often forget to give ourselves credit because once something no longer becomes a problem, it's almost like, we lose the hindsight of what it was like to have that problem once we've integrated the learning and have moved on and have new problems. And so I find this like practice of celebrating and reflecting and giving yourself credit is really powerful for a couple of different reasons. One is it really does a beautiful job of combating the brain's ability to go on to the next and want to bypass the integration period that happens when you expand from where you've been to where you are now. The things that you have now are often a reflection of things that you once wanted and didn't have. But once we get into the having, we forget what it was like to not have it. And not that we have to like remind ourselves of the pain and agony of not having it. But I think just sitting in a moment of gratitude And reflection for how we made that transition is so powerful so that we can reground in the power that we had and the role that we played in creating that. What I find for a lot of my clients, and I think is very common for business owners who grow very rapidly, or actually also true for business owners who are growing much slower than they want, is that when we have a big result, we feel like a little unsafe in it. So we might feel like it was an outlier. We might feel like we don't know how to repeat it because we don't know how it actually happened. What I find is through the reflection process, we can look at the things that contributed to that result and to that win so that you don't feel like you're on quicksand with the results that you're creating and you feel really grounded in what you did to create those results and the safety of knowing that you now have those emotional and strategic tools forever to be able to reproduce those results anytime you need them. And I find this is so true with getting clients and customers is if we create a big sales month or we book out our business for the first time or we sign our first client, we can sometimes feel a little like unsettled in, in terms of having got that result, but also not really feeling confident in how we got there. Then sometimes our sales start to dip a little bit with the natural ebb and flow of business or clients start to rotate off. And then we start freaking out and going, wait, I don't know what to do. Like I had it now I don't have it. What do I do now? I need to solve this problem. And it's like, when you can pause and integrate what you've created at each level, you have more to draw from when you need to reproduce that result instead of freaking out and having to solve the problem again and recreate the wheel there. And so, you know, that's not exactly what I want to focus on today, but I think it's a really important part of just explaining why I even do the celebration portion of my coaching containers. And also just context for why this even came up for me with wanting to bring it to the podcast was because I was wrapping up with a client in their celebration session. And so many of these threads came to mind and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so normal and happens all the time, but nobody talks about it because this is often the stuff that feels like you can't share it because it's not that glamorous. But it's often the things that make the biggest difference in our own personal experience. And it's the things that we're often most grateful for having experienced and received. And so that's what I want to talk about. To kind of set the stage, this client, one of their goals when we started working together was to. Uh, finished booking out their one-on-one services. And then over the course of working with them for a while, some of their one-on-one load had tapered down. And so their most recent objective was to fill their one-on-one back up. And so it's been six months. This client did not fill up their one-on-one completely by the time we are closing this container. And I want to talk about that because I think that as a coach, I have a really healthy perspective of what it looks like to create results in business. And luckily my client is not brand new to the online space and has very good perspective on business and the flow of business. And I think because of that, they're also able to see that, that there's actually nothing wrong with the fact that they didn't create that result in the 6 month time frame that doesn't mean that there is absolutely no results in that 6 month time frame and i feel like that's important to name too is like it's often not all or nothing right you could have a goal of getting i don't know five customers for instance and maybe you got two so you didn't hit your goal of five but you did hit two more than you had at the beginning and so sometimes our brains like to go into these binaries and so Not getting the result you want doesn't necessarily mean you don't get any results, but I think there is a real disappointment and pressure that can come with not creating the results that you set out to do, especially in a coaching container that's designed to have a certain length of time. So for no super specific reason, other than it's a good amount of time to be able to implement things with a client, get to know them, and then have enough time to you know, recommit within a year, my coaching packages are six months long. Some people do them shorter, some people do them longer, but six months is pretty standard in our industry. That's not because it takes six months to complete whatever goal my client has set out to do, right? That's why a lot of my clients stay with me long-term. That's why a lot of people will choose to have coaches throughout the lifetime of their business, because there is not a one-to-one relationship between Creating a result and the amount of time left in your coaching package, which I think is obvious for most of us from the outside looking in. But I think when you are on the recipient side and you are the client, you can feel a lot of pressure to be closing out a package and not have that result, have not have had that result show up in that amount of time. And so I just wanted to name that too, that there can be like a, an unintentional pressure that comes up there that I'm just so clear on the fact that there is no relationship between the six months of us working together and the time it takes you to create the result you want, right? One client might want to go from zero clients to 10 clients. One client might come to me having six clients wanting to go to 10 clients. One client might come to me with a six-figure business and want to scale to half a million dollars. Another client might be starting from zero and want to go to 60K. Like every client's going to have different goals. And those goals aren't all going to be accomplished in the six-month container. And sometimes the reverse is true too, right? Is like sometimes the goal of my clients gets achieved before we end the container. And then we have to visit the drawing board and create new goals and figure out what we're expanding into next because we actually achieved that a lot quicker than the container was designed for. And so all that to Just remind everyone, and if you're a coach and you're holding your clients through transformation and creating their own results, if you're a client and you are in the process of creating your own results, just a reminder there that the length of your support package does not have any meaningful connection with the actual result that you're trying to create, other than the fact that that is the container that the support person has decide- decided makes sense for their business, or their recurring income, and it's long enough to be able to do important work around it. But often you will probably need multiple resigns or you might even need less time and then you can use the time for something else. And so all of this goes back to, you know, what do you say that you want And what do you end up getting? And what is the difference between getting what you need versus what you want? And so to go back to this particular client situation, this client I think was about half booked out and wanted to book out the the other half of her client roster. And so the way that I look at any, anyone's business is through these two buckets, right? I look at it through the bucket of strategy and through the lens of well-being, which is not surprising. I'm a success strategist and a well-being coach. There's a reason for that, right? But the reason I like to look at these two buckets and through these two lenses is these are, for me, the two fundamental pillars of a successful and sustainable business. The strategy is really important because the strategy contains the practical actions, and the intentional vision you have for how you're creating what you want to create, right? This is, the strategy is the roadmap. The strategy is the thing that you can reference that tells you what's going where and how is it going to get there. The well-being component is extremely interwoven with strategy because without having a strong foundation of well-being the strategy never gets implemented, right? And so for me, well-being is inextricably linked with sustainability in business because when your well-being is not being prioritized, that's the thing that leads to burnout, exhaustion, overwhelm, all of the things that can take businesses out and take the fun out of the experience for the CEO, right? And so well-being is both a practical perspective in terms of well-being is the thing that allows you to show up for your strategy, but well-being is also the thing that makes you choose your business over and over again in hard seasons, right? If you're not getting any element of well-being, and this might look different for every client, right? But this is, you know, what a lot of people call freedom and flexibility. Whatever well-being looks like, the individual elements that make you feel like your cup is full, like you've been replenished, like your business is pouring back into you. Those are the things that are going to be important to you choosing to show up in the ebbs and flows of business. When business gets hard, when you're in that gap between creating the result you want and starting to execute and move towards it, right? When you are in a really beautiful season and everything is going well and it feels like you're living your best life, like all of those things are an ecosystem. And so that's why I look at well-being and strategy together and as the two central pillars of any successful business is because you can't separate them, right? If you have a really good strategy and no well-being to support it, you will eventually run out of fuel to implement the strategy. If you have a really good sense of well-being and no strategy, you, <laughs> you will eventually run out of well-being, particularly if you're running a business and you need to make a living from your business. Otherwise, you know you could keep whatever you're doing as your business as a hobby, let it fill you up from a well-being component, and we don't need the strategy to be a part of that. But if you are dependent on your business to create your income right? That's where strategy becomes really important. And for me, the biggest difference between a hobby and a business is the income component, right? The need for it to be financially profitable. And so those are the two lenses that I look at any business through. And then usually the way that I, I take the approach that I take to coaching is I often look at the ideal right? Like what is it that my clients want to create? What's the ideal situation we really want this to look like? I really love to start with the ideal first because that gives us a really strong North star to point ourselves towards. It's a really helpful place to ground into so that when we're in the muck of all the things it takes to get there, we have something to look forward to. And it's something that's what we actually want. I think when we forget this step, it's so easy to start pointing our efforts in a lot of different directions. And we can often end up creating a result that we never actually wanted, right? We can build businesses that aren't really filling us up. We can end up offering services we don't actually like to deliver. We might be creating income that we don't even need or desire. And so I think just getting really clear on the ideal of the situation is so powerful for that. The other thing I think ideal situations are really powerful, powerful places to start is because often when we're in a problem, in the thick of a problem, all we can focus on is the fact that it's a problem and that it needs to be fixed. And we often don't take that pause, that stopgap to really think about what the outcome we want is. And I think the reason for that is actually because we think we can't have the outcome we want. So we start compromising and trying to find these middle grounds where we can sidestep what we actually want for what we think is possible. So to kind of ground that into an example, let's say you're having, you're dealing with like your team really like underperforming, right? Right. You are trying to delegate and hand some tasks off to a team member. Every time you get it back, it's like, it feels like they didn't listen to the instructions. The product isn't that good. And you feel like you have to go back in and correct the things that they've done. And so often in that situation, we're so in tune with the fact that there is a problem there and we want to fix it but we don't know what the ideal situation looks like, what the ideal resolution would be like to have a highly efficient team. So sometimes just painting that picture for ourselves gives us a really clear way to narrow in on what would need to happen to get there. And that's the second part that I look with in my coaching approach with clients. So I spend some time getting really clear on the ideal of what we actually want things to look like. And then we go and we bring ourselves back into the present, right? And we look at where are we at right now? What is the current state of the situation? How can we look at and get really honest about what that is like so that we can figure out how we're going to bridge that gap? I think so often as humans, we love to stay as far away from the present as possible. We love to go back and ruminate on the past and really analyze the shit out of things that have already happened. Or we love to jump ahead to the future to start like planning, projecting into the future, worst outcomes, best outcomes, all of the things. But we can often find it really uncomfortable and difficult to remain in the present. And so a lot of my work with clients is actually bringing them into the present. And helping them see where they're at so they can bridge the gap to where they want to be. And for me, the way that I look at creating success and creating change and growing as a human and in business is that the gap between where you are and where you want to be comes down to actions and energy, right? So there's a series of actions And there's a different energy between where you're at and where you want to be. I think if you think about income, right, that can be a really easy anchor point. I know income is a very charged topic. So if this (laughs) brings up a lot of resistance for you, just, just know that that's not uncommon. But I think with income, when we think about the gap between what we're making right now and where we want to grow our income to be, right, a lot of it has to do with the actions that we're taking. And the energy that we we feel at that other level, right? And so, so much of the work is going to come through that marriage of actions and strategy. But once we get really clear and can accept where we're at, we can start applying the actions and the strategy that will bring us closer to the ideal situation that we want. And again, if you really look at it, actions and strategy are synonymous for strategy. I mean, actions and energy are synonymous for strategy, and well-being. And so this, I think, is just such a powerful framework. And this is a lot of what I did with this client is we got really clear on what she wanted to create. But the thing that she was avoiding was her present circumstance, right? And this client, I think, had been in a phase of a lot of growth and a lot of change in her personal life before working. And this client had a lot of... And this client had come from a phase of experiencing a lot of growth in their business and a lot of change in their personal life before we started working together. And so there was a lot to process that had not yet been processed. And so because of this, this client also didn't realize some of the patterns and defaults that had come into their way of thinking that really were at odds with expanding their business and growing in the way that they wanted to grow. And so a lot of the work that we needed to do to bridge that gap between their present situation and their ideal situation was actually looking at a lot of the well-being components of working like really fundamental things and universal things that you have to look at at all stages of business, which were boundaries with clients, right? Setting really good boundaries with clients where you're able to give and serve really deeply without reaching your own boundaries and having your clients violate what feels good to you. Really setting up good boundaries with themselves, right? And repatterning their default action of overfixing, taking personal responsibility for things that we're actually just part of life, right? I think every firstborn child can probably relate to to that feeling of sometimes when life things happen, we take them on as personal responsibilities. And so that was just another way that this client was adding to their own mental load and walking around holding a lot of extra heaviness. And when you are holding a lot of heaviness, It is very difficult to want to receive and open up to more, right? If you're halfway booked out and you are feeling really intense and really stretched in terms of your emotional and mental capacity, why would you want to double that? Of course, there's like the very practical, logical side of you. That's like, of course, I want more money. I know at the end of the day, I love this work. I want more clients. I want to serve them. But there's also a very real visceral response that's happening (laughs) at a deeper level where you're also not desiring that experience. You don't want to create more exhaustion. You don't want to create more burnout, more heaviness, right? And so a lot of the foundational work that we had to do in order to prepare that client to expand in the ways that they want to expand was doing some of that boundaries work, some of that healing of what it means to be the anchor point for everyone else and how to really have your own back and trust your own ability to draw those boundaries, to source your own support, to let yourself be seen in a coaching container with all your shit and all of your vulnerability, right? Allowing yourself to get support as much as you support others, allowing yourself to stay in that place of both in terms of wanting to help others And wanting to receive help yourself. And just practicing that, right? It's one thing just to say, oh, this is the work that needs to be done. It's another thing to actually start integrating that, right? And so part of the work that we did in our container together was to realize that this was a pattern that was playing out. Then realize, okay, this is part of the emotional mental process that is draining you in your current work. How do we get it to feel good? in your current work? And then how do we start supporting you through the messiness of implementing that, right? I think a lot of the conversation around boundaries is just so oversimplified sometimes where we think boundaries is saying no, and it's like throwing up a wall and just like protecting your peace, you know, in a very distant way. But so much of boundaries work and and creating boundaries with people you love, people that you respect, people that you care about, and doing it in a way that's sustainable, that doesn't make you want to just avoid ever setting boundaries or having conflict with people, is about practicing. And sometimes when you first set a boundary, you don't get it right. You realize, oh, I I tried to set a boundary, made the other person uncomfortable, they weren't cool with it, so I completely fawned, gave in and didn't pull my boundary. Then the next time you might be like, oh, I see where I see where I kind of betrayed myself and what I wanted here. Here's how I'm going to approach that next time. Here's a phrase I'm going to try out. Okay. Maybe that phrase worked really well. And you notice, you know what? With my friends, I'm doing a really good job at implementing boundaries. But when a family member comes to me, I can't seem to hold that boundary and feel quite as safe doing that. And then you have to integrate that, right? So implementing boundaries takes time it takes practice and it's often messy work right it's trial and error and so this client had to practice a lot of setting those boundaries and even defining the boundaries that they wanted right and what felt good to hold in business and in personal life and so that started to create more capacity and so that additional capacity meant that now the client was ready to really look at their strategy from a new, more neutral perspective because at the time this client had a very simple strategy but they weren't able to be as consistent with it and definitely didn't feel like they had capacity to layer more strategies. And so by doing some of this wellbeing work, we opened up some brain space, some emotional capacity for this client to then be able to look at, okay, if I want to have a system for consistently creating demand and booking out my one-on-one, what strategy do we want to implement? And this client went, I think in like three months from being like, I'm fully maxed out. I'm at my maximum capacity. I just have enough to sustain and do the minimums in business to, I feel like I'm ready to pull two or three different levers. And so it doesn't have to take a long time, but I think what I want you to really know about that is it takes practice. And depending on what you have capacity for in terms of practicing, that will affect the timeline, right? Really good example is my husband and I work with a relationship coach last, last year, the year before, and she gave us some really good practices, but we met with her, I think three times a month. And our timeline for practicing what she gave us was a lot longer. It's not like she gave us something in a week and we practiced it within that week. We were often like a couple of weeks behind. And so what that meant was that our timeline was going to be longer, not because she wasn't a great coach or, or, you know, the things weren't working or the tactics she was giving us weren't going to be effective. It was just that, like, our ability to implement and actually practice those tools was limited because we had so many other life obligations. My husband, for those of you who don't know, is a grad student. So, you know, it's not like he has a lot of free time, let alone our time. On top of the time we have to try to carve out to spend together together also like finding time to then do this work, quote unquote, together. So that just meant that our pace looked different. And so with this client, right, this client really made space to practice the things that we were covering and coaching. And so they were able to move through it quickly. And so quickly, you know, might look like two, three months, which depending on where you're at may feel like, oh, that's a really short amount of time Or it might feel like, damn, this is a really long time. But just to put that in perspective, I think is knowing that a lot of these growth edges take time to practice. The beauty of a coaching relationship is it gives you that container to be held accountable to practicing and making that a priority. And it also gives you a space where you can bring the roadblocks and make the tiny tweaks and shifts you need to without having to solve that yourself, right? So this client maybe was practicing a boundary with with a client and would be like, okay, this is, this is the rub I'm having. Here's what I want to do about it. We're like, great. And this, my client would go to their client, practice it, come back and give me what they came back with. And we would process, okay, do we maybe want to word something like this? Do we want to try this phrase? Do you need to go self-regulate before you interact and set your boundaries? Like all of those real time shifts and tweaks at the micro level are what make all the difference between something working really well and something completely flopping. But we often tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of if this thing didn't work on the first try, then it's not going to work, right? But that's because we often don't have that like space held where we can really objectively see what's going on and make those micro shifts and micro tweaks that really are going to make the difference between something feeling a lot easier and a lot more difficult. And for some clients, this is just a word, right? Like, for instance, okay, let's say your phrase with a client is to say, my response time is 48 hours. Please know that I will respond to you within 48 hours. But then you notice that if you take longer than three hours, your client pings back and starts to ask you what's wrong, or they, they start to bombard you with more messages and you don't like that but you feel guilty because you haven't responded. So now what you do is you start making yourself respond every three hours so the messages don't build up. So maybe the solution that we decide is you don't want your clients to send more than five messages in a row before you've responded. That's the rule that feels good in your business. You decide that's your boundary. You want to communicate that with clients without them feeling like you don't care about their problems. But really what's happening is you end up like over-processing things, which is why you want the boundary. So maybe you go and communicate that with the client and say, hey, I would really like to institute this rule where you message me a maximum of five times before I respond. If I haven't responded, please hold your messages until you hear back from me, and then we'll continue the conversation there. Maybe that wording felt really terrible and you can't even get it out, (laughs) right? And so maybe then it's all like, maybe it's not about saying I'm not available for that, but it's about framing it in terms of, hey, this is something that has come up for me. I really want you to feel safe using this space. But what I've noticed is that I have a really hard time adequately responding when there are so many messages. And so I feel like I'm not able to give you as much support as I want to be able to do as your coach. What would feel really supportive is if we could set a cap of maybe, let's say, five messages so that I can really respond thoughtfully here and get back to you quicker. Right. So depending on your personality, there might be different ways of framing or enforcing boundaries that feel better to you and allow you to hold them without feeling so much guilt or so much intensity. And those are the things that coaching is very valuable for. And personally, one thing that I'm really good at supporting my clients with just because boundaries is not something that ever came naturally to me. I definitely identified with being a people pleaser, having a fond response in the midst of conflict. And I think most people are very surprised by that because I've done so much work around it that at this point, boundaries are very second nature to me. And I hold really exceptional boundaries in my business and in my personal life. They're actually very similar in both regards. But I just integrated it to the point where I don't have to think about it as much and it feels very neutral, but I also very easily can anchor into what it felt like for that to feel really Really activating. And I don't think that boundaries have to look one way. And I did a a previous episode all about business boundaries and transforming the results that you can get your clients and the things that you can feel in your business through business boundaries. So I think that one was episode five or six. It's the one called Transform Your Business and Your Client Results. Listen to that if you want a crash course in setting business boundaries and how I think about them. It's really excellent. But all that to say, this client needed to do a lot of that work in order to make space to expand her capacity to hold more clients. And since this client was a coach, right? Part of having capacity for clients wasn't, for instance, like just needing to execute something on their behalf in the same way that you would if you were a graphic designer or a copywriter or a VA. This client needed to be able to have the capacity to hold someone else's most intense shit, right? And so you can see why easily correlating additional client to more emotional heaviness was a very strong thread there. The other thing that, you know, kind of came up once this client had realized that we worked through a lot of those fundamental well-being drains was to get really clear on their strategy, And what they had been doing before was really wanting to shift strategies or having an idea for a strategy and not having the capacity to be able to full out execute it and to stay consistent with it. And this client had a lot of resistance to a lot of the traditional visibility strategies. And so a lot of what we had to process through was like, okay, what's the strategy that feels really good for you here? And then what are the resistance points that we need to work through? This client was really excellent at bringing bringing all of their brain's resistance and sticking points to our conversation. So when we talked through like a social media platform strategy or a free call strategy or an email marketing strategy, right, they were really good about saying, I can see objectively how this would work or why this is a good idea. But here are the things that my brain thinks about that. And I think what's so powerful about that and why I'm such an advocate for coaching and why I even switched from being a consultant and a strategist to a coach is because of this ability to adapt your strategy, to meet your preferences, and to be able to deal with the objections your brain is handing you around your strategy. If you don't believe in a strategy, you are not going to show up and ex- execute it consistently and play full out. You're just not right? But like when your energy is behind something, you really believe in its power to work for you. You really are excited about trying it. You're going to come at it with so much more openness, so much more confidence, so much more excitement. And that's going to serve as the momentum to drive you in getting started. Obviously, once you get there, then we have to deal with being consistent, but just getting started with that initial excitement requires you to have a lower level of resistance, And so part of that was working through some of the very specific objections. Like, for instance, I think a common one that a lot of people have is, you know, Instagram. A lot of people aren't going to see your posts. Is it worth having XYZ content? If not, a lot of people aren't going to see your posts. Do you need to do a different platform? Or maybe your business has already generated six figures plus. Does it make sense for you to offer a freebie or a free call or free event for people when people pay thousands of dollars to work with you one-on-one. There's so many forms of resistance that our brain can hand us, even if we can practically and logically and intellectually see why something is not correlated, it, it can still feel like a rub for us, and we need to create the space to process through that. That doesn't mean that you're wrong or that your perspective is not valid. The point is we need to investigate to see if this is something that is here to stay, and we need to pick a different strategy. Or if it's something that we can work through and have you choose the path of least resistance, then just go for it. And often with my clients, I just, I have a very open approach to it. And my entire job as I see it is to help you figure out what is your brain's bullshit and what is neutrally not your preference, right? So anytime a client's like, I'm not excited about that, or I don't like that, or I don't know if that will work for me, whatever, I'm like, cool, let's figure out why. Why is that? Why is that your perspective? What are the reasons that your brain is handing you? How do you feel about those reasons that your brain is handing you? And we unpack that just a little bit because sometimes we don't even realize that we've picked up other people's perspectives, even if they're not our own, right? So I remember a couple of years ago, I had a client who like was absolutely not excited about email. They were like, I don't get why I would have an email list. I hate getting emails in my inbox. Why would someone sign up for emails? Like when they can just come on social and find me if they want to, I don't like writing emails. I don't like reading them. Like it just feels completely uncreative. Basically. They felt like it wasn't very like very flowy, very intuitive. And this person really valued like flow and intuition and creativity in their business. Well, like over the course of, I don't know, four to six weeks, this client started to love email. And this became one of their absolute favorite platforms because we talked through how they could do email in a way that aligned with their desires for creativity, for flow. We worked through some of the resistance of Why my client might not enjoy opening emails, but my client doesn't have to enjoy opening emails to connect with their clients who like opening emails, right? So often we project our preferences onto our customers and our clients. And we have to really be able to get to a neutral enough perspective to see what our audience actually wants from us and whether we have any qualms about delivering that. Just because I personally don't like something doesn't mean that I'm against like someone else liking it, right? So, for instance, the way that I I might think about this is, I don't like pizza. That doesn't mean I have a problem with you ordering pizza for dinner, and I don't have a problem with picking up pizza and dropping it off at your house for dinner. Or if we go out to a restaurant together, if I'm if I don't want the steak, I have no problem with you ordering steak, or even like paying for our dinner with you having the steak and me having the chicken, like. I don't have to pick steak because we like it, but that doesn't mean I have to take steak off the menu, right? And so I think the same can be true with our marketing, right? Is just because my client didn't like being on other people's email lists doesn't mean that her clients didn't. And in fact, her clients really liked it. And she found a way of being able to write those emails that felt really good and really creative and locked in for her. And so all of this to say, same thing with this client case study that I'm focused on right now. Part of the strategy. Involve free calls, which his client had quite a bit of resistance to because of other things that they had accumulated about what it meant to offer free calls, about how they would be able to make space for free calls as they grew, like if this would be a sustainable strategy, because once they started filling up with clients, how would they hold that? And all of these different things, right? And so what we realized is like, those were all things that weren't super deeply true to what my client believed, but these were all things that her brain was just throwing at her in terms of making it feel less exciting. So once we got in there, we could then reframe and find her truth around that and go, oh, here's what I actually believe this would serve in my business. The free call strategy would support me in doing X, Y, Z. Here's what I actually believe to be true about free calls. And now this client wants their free call strategy to be the strategy that they continue to use even when they are fully booked. And so all of that to say that one, from a coaching perspective, you don't have to like challenge every point of resistance your client has, and you don't have to go in with any preconceived notions on whether their resistance is valid or not. I think our role as a coach is to walk our clients in being able to see their resistance and be able to feel that choice about a decision that they're making, right? What I really see there as my role is helping my client understand why they have resistance to something and if that's something that they are okay with having resistance to or if it's something that they want to shift, right? For me personally in my business, there are a lot of things that I have resistance to that I think are very valid. And so they're not things I'm looking to shift, but sometimes when we want something, I might have resistance initially come up because humans tend to resist change. We tend to resist discomfort, or we might've only been presented with one way of doing something that didn't feel good to us. And so we've thrown out the whole concept. I think a lot of people do this with sales, right? As they've been sold to in a really crappy way, they are not a fan of how most people sell in market. And so they're like, I'm just not a salesperson. I've never really been into sales. I'm not good at sales. And it's like, You know what? There's an alternative way here where you can sell like a whole ass human and have high integrity and sell from a place of service. And maybe then you might feel differently about selling. And so, part of the work here, I think, with coaching any client and what I really did with this client was like really create a space where they could look at that resistance and we could get clear on what resistance do we want to stay and is valid and is built on your experiences and your beliefs. And what are the points of resistance here where you're actually just getting in your own way? You've adopted beliefs that you don't actually feel that that's strongly in tune with. They don't feel actually aligned with your deeper values. And we want to reframe them. And how do we reframe them so that you have a more empowering way to look at it and can feel more excited to show up for that strategy because you're not thinking of it as a thing that you have resistance to, but you're thinking about it as being aligned with the value you deeply hold and want to promote more of. And can you see how that would impact how you show up for that strategy? In the example I gave about sales, can you see how you taking a sales action might feel really different if you think about you not being a salesperson and sales being something that people do that's quite manipulative and you seeing sales as something that you can do with integrity and that's really serving the person on the other end of that experience, you're hundred percent going to show up and feel differently about wanting to take that action on your to-do list. So the last part I want to talk about in terms of this specific case study and getting what you need versus getting what you want, right? Is that in our wrap-up call, right, as we were celebrating and reflecting on all the transformations that this client had gone through over the course of working together for a year, one of the biggest things that they gave themselves credit for was really staying in it and staying in this process, both in terms of staying in it in the business and the business model that they wanted to build, and in staying in the coaching container and really working through their shit. And I think what's so powerful about that is sometimes when we're in a season where we need to stay in it or sustain, that feels a lot less glamorous than growing. And the reason I want to zoom in on this and speak to this in terms of getting what you need instead of getting what you want is because so much of the game of business is staying in it long enough for it to work. And I know that's really annoying to hear, and I know a lot of people have started to say that more and more, but so many businesses fizzle out because business requires a level of risk tolerance, a level of self-belief, and a level of persistence that can be really emotionally hard to sustain sometimes. And especially if you are dealing with a business that is projected for growth or who has gone through a massive season of growth it can be really hard to hold the business consequences of what happens before and after that growth. So much of growth. And I, I think I have another episode where I talk about like expansion and contraction and how those two are so linked and interconnected is because before you, you hit that period of bursting growth, there's a lot of invisible results that are happening that you never get to really see before it starts to become visible and you get to see that other tip of the iceberg. And in that phase, right, a lot of us have been calling it the gap of entrepreneurship, where you're taking the actions, but you're not seeing the results you want yet. You're being fueled by faith. And hopefully if you have the right coach and support, very specific metrics that you are tracking to help you Build evidence that things are working. But so much of that is staying in it long enough to see those actions compound enough to get to that reaping season. And that's a really tough place to be in. And that's a place that a lot of people will react to the discomfort by switching their strategy, by killing their momentum, or by tapping out. And I don't mean this in a like shamey way, like you're a failure if you tap out of business. Like some people. I think genuinely discover that entrepreneurship is not for them because of the level of discomfort required to sustain results. And I think that's perfectly fine. But if your goal here is to really equip and resource yourself to be able to hold the the risk and the gains that come from entrepreneurship, that's what's required. And same thing on the other side of growth, right? Is there's this massive phase of needing to realign and let your back end catch up with the level of growth that you sustain, right? If I think a lot of people of color-based businesses in 2020 experience this on a massive scale, where, and this, I think this could happen very easily in online business just because of the nature of how marketing and going viral and visibility works, is you can go from having a very lean business to having a massive business and having a surge of clients or customers. And then you have to have the backend operations and team support, et cetera, to sustain that. And while you're getting that in place before your team and backend becomes a well-oiled machine, sometimes it can feel like a hot freaking mess. And there's that, you know, dark night of the soul period. and, And those periods require staying in it. And that is the hardest part that is required to get to levels of success that you see people bragging about on the internet, the ones that all of us want and that ultimately represent the ideal vision for what we're looking for and that gap between where we are and where we want to be. What's required is the ability to stay in that discomfort, right? And not stay in the discomfort from the perspective of you need to get uncomfortable and if you, you know, if it if it's not hard, it's not worth it. That is not the vibe that we're promoting here. What I'm trying to say here is that there are some really tough seasons and the way that you navigate that with grace is by doing a lot of these inner resourcing things, by really supporting yourself from a well-being perspective, by having a really clear strategy that takes away the decision fatigue that comes when you're in a really tough season, right, where you want to shift out of things having your strategy and your well-being serve as your north stars and your anchor and grounding points are the things that will keep you in your business long enough to see the results. And that's why they create such a sustainable framework for creating success. And so ultimately with this client, as we were wrapping up, we were really celebrating their ability to stay in this process and do all of these massive inner transformations. And there was a lot more than, than just the boundaries work and the visibility work that, that we covered, but for the sake of preserving this client's confidentiality and their own unique experiences or anything that would be too identifying, you know, I'm not going to go down that, that full explanation. But those are the things that happen that allow you to expand your capacity, that allow you to tap into a strategy that feels good and allows you to execute consistently enough to see those results. Right. What I said to this client was like, this client was reflecting on how their original goal was to get booked out and how that's still what they wanted, but that it didn't feel that it still felt possible. And I think the reason for that and what I reminded them was, you know, and they were admitting to feeling a little like delusional or, or even feeling like a little crazy, for believing that given the state of where they were at now. And I was like, no, that actually makes complete sense because the work that you've done here is what it actually takes to create those results. There's always that contraction excavation point that has to happen before you can really expand your capacity to receive on the other end. And what's also true and that I didn't name this in the conversation with my client but I've just noticed to be so true for my clients who end our work together and go off and support themselves solo afterwards for a season is that these are the skills that will carry with you even after the coaching container has concluded. And I think that's massively underrated. I think that's something that I even failed to really recognize myself until probably you know six months ago was really realizing that. When I would circle back and connect with previous clients, they were still using the same strategies, the same tools that we had worked on in coaching long after we concluded. And those were the things that eventually allow them to see the results, even if it happens six months, a year, one month after our coaching container is done. Because like the work that you do in coaching isn't always about that immediate result. And often it can actually be more destabilizing to get an immediate result in a coaching container and then not know how to recreate that yourself because you were in a really good energy for a period or you had an upswing for whatever reason and you don't understand the mechanisms behind it. And so that's what I really want to say here is when you don't get what you want, but you get what you need, you're always going to get what you want also. And so I hope this episode is really serving for you, whether you are a coach or service provider holding your own customers or clients through their in-between messy process, and they're not getting the results that they set out for, but you know that the work that you're doing is so important and so valuable, please know that our coaching containers are only part of the picture, and that these are the things that are giving our clients what they want by giving them what they need, right? They might not be giving them what they want right now, But the way that they get what they want is by getting what they need. And if you are a client experiencing this, just know that everyone is doing this in business. Everyone you know that has created success, that has increased their income, built a business that is sustainable, that they enjoy running, that doesn't require them to be changed to their laptop 24-7, has gone through this process. You just didn't get to see that, frankly. (laughs) You just didn't get to see that because that was a private journey and they may not have shared all of it. And that, you know, this is not in a blamey way. There's nothing wrong with not showing that. But I think it's important for me to say and normalize that people are doing this on the back end. You probably just didn't discover them until they were in their bursting phase of having all of those results compound into the visible effects. But there was a lot of invisible work that went into every person's success whether that happened through their business, before their business. And I think that's a whole other conversation in terms of people having different timelines in businesses. A lot of times people have had other experiences that flopped, failed, took them through the ringer that they then bring into the new business and the new business takes off really quickly because they just had those other growth experiences in a different container. So just a reminder not to... Compare yourself in such a way that you're really not able to be kind and gracious with yourself. A reminder that leaning into the internal work and really prioritizing your strategy and your well-being together is what's going to allow you to create that success in a more grounded and stable way that you can sustain for years to come. If you're in the season of the darkness of the soul right now, just know that there's another side. Know that there is nothing better than staying in it and continuing to check in with yourself around what you need to feel grounded and well as you wait for those results to come in. And let me know how this episode landed for you. Feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. Feel free to reach out. I love connecting with y'all and I will see y'all next week. Bye thank you for listening to success for whole ass humans. If you enjoyed this episode or have found this podcast valuable in your business journey, please leave us a review so that more people can find us and we can keep spreading the message that we get to be whole ass humans and create wild success. If you want to connect with me more, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Shari Baluchi, and I will see you all next time.